Hey everyone, this is uh, just a special recording that Justin and I put together to uh, work through some thoughts and feelings we were having because uh, we received some news that a very dear friend of ours, uh, Bill McFadden, had uh, passed away. And uh, we have a lot of love in our hearts for Bill and what he meant to the community of Charlottetown and indeed the uh, spirit of Charlottetown as well in a lot of ways. And so we just kind of wanted to share some stories with each other and with anyone who happens to be listening. And a big part of what we're doing is, um, what Ben and I do is we share stories, we listen to stories, and um, Bill McFadden is a person who is almost made of stories. He is the captain of tall tales. Um, and in a way I think, um, well, anyone who's known Bill will always remember at least one interaction or one story they've had with him. And I think that's kind of the beauty of storytelling is for someone who like Bill, who is a man of the cloth, I should mention, uh, talks about really what is the afterlife? What does it mean to live beyond your time on earth? And I think they live in his stories. And so this is a way of honoring his memory. I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of another person that when I use the phrase Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, like... He looks like a historical beardy man. Yeah. Like when, it's you like, walk, when you walk by him, you see it looks like he walked out of the past. <laughs> or he's, you know, walking down Queen Street dressed like a wizard and blowing bubbles. And it's just like, yeah, that that's just sense. who that's just who Bill it was, you know. And um, I mean, I'll I'll dive right into my story that comes immediately to mind, you know. Um, yeah. It was you know fall of 2019, and I was doing a show called Punch Up uh, by the Canadian playwright Cat Sandler, and the marketing around that show is all about nicknames that the characters have that come up throughout the script. So my character was known as the most pathetic guy ever. And it, so it was all over the posters for the show and they were up all over town. And uh, I was working at a, at the theater where the, where the show was going to be performed at the guild and Bill, as he was known to do, you know, would just blow into a room say a whole bunch of weird stuff and like lovely, hilarious, poignant, philosophical stuff that would make you think about it for like three weeks afterwards. And then he would just blow out on the wind as quickly as he had come in and just leave you kind of wondering what had just happened to you in the most beautiful way. And so he would come in, you know, two or three times a week to the guild to like walk around the art gallery or whatever. And so he would come in and you, you would always be able to tell when Bill was doing a bit. So he would come in doing this bit and he would come up to me and he'd be shaking his finger at me, trying to remember something like snapping his fingers at me and trying to remember something. He goes, Oh yeah, right. It's the, the biggest loser in history or the, the, the least likable idiot in town or something. What, what do they, what do they call you? And then I would, you know, play my part as the straight man in the whole thing. And I just go, Bill, I'm the most pathetic guy ever. And he would just lay a hand on my shoulder and go, hey, have some self-respect. 
and then he'd leave. <laughs> um, oh, so sharp, man. One of my <laughs> favorite Bill stories about in relationship to you um, was we had just finished um, something, a production in the Island Fringe Festival, a, uh, a play that Ben had written uh, called Nutshell. And uh, it was a it was a new play, and uh, it it addressed a lot of subjects around mental health. And I I played one of the uh, principal roles, and uh, Bill, uh, a good friend, we uh, ran into each other on the street. And I I remember seeing him in the audience during the show because he's one of those people that's like, yeah, that's nobody else, but that could <laughs> not be anyone but him, like five foot six scraggly beard wearing no shoes uh, may or may not have a clown nose on who's to say uh <laughs> but uh, i ran into him uh after uh opening the opening performance and i said you saw the show and he's like yes i certainly did like well, what did you think of it bill between you and me <laughs> it needs some work <laughs> then he rode off on his bicycle <laughs> Well, and, and that's, like, truly what I appreciate about Bill the most, I think, is just his, his like, refusal to sugarcoat anything. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. I remember, you and I have both been through theater school, and I remember he came up to me one time after I had auditioned for a theater school and I had not gotten into the theater school. And again, you know, he put that Bill hand on my shoulder and said, listen, theater school is nothing. Nobody hires theater school students for three years after they come out of, out of school because they need to be deprogrammed like some kind of cult member. <laughs> I was like, well, thanks for trying to make me feel better, Bill. Um, <sighs> my, I think my all-time favorite Bill story, though, is um, it's almost like an origin story. For anyone who does not know who Bill McFadden is, I think this is a good... Uh, window into his personality in the summer of 2013 i worked um with a company called the confederation players and they were part of the uh, charlottetown festival at the confederation center of the arts uh, ben had also worked with them at a, at a different time indeed and we would dress up as figures from 1864 fathers of the confederation roaming the streets of downtown charlottetown is a historical immersive theater thing uh, and so you meet a lot of people in this in this uh in this line of work uh it's very very much geared toward tourism and uh this gentleman uh shirtless wearing beige cargo pants scraggly hair just wrinkly old man and he was ridiculous and he would approach us every day. Good day, everyone. Oh, the fathers of Confederation, looking as young as ever. <laughs> and he, we had business cards that we had to give out because, of course, we did uh, with, our, with our names. So some of them would say John A. McDonald, George Brown, George Cartier. Uh, and he would collect them. He was collecting all of the... Uh, the business cards of the fathers of confederation as if we were uh baseball players uh and he would keep them sometimes he'd give them out 
pretending to be those people, give them to people on the street. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think much of it. He was just uh, another person, another person who was eccentric, someone who was a little wacky. And if we saw him in the day, it was just a, another marker of the day. At the same, in the same summer, uh, Ben and I were both in a production of Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, and this was oh, yeah. a, a community theater production that they put on as a, a Shakespeare in the Park performance. And we were working on the show. It was a, it was a very large cast and uh, there was some difficulty casting uh, a, a few key roles. The role of Oberon went to a university instructor who didn't have a background in acting. The director, David Bulger, uh, admittedly, he, he said, it's a gamble, but I think this guy just has the presence for it. And so he was ready to roll the dice on this, this, this very kind gentleman. And then uh, the role of Snug from the Rude Mechanicals, the fellow who, in the play within the play, who has to uh, dress up as a lion. For people who don't know what Midsummer Night's <laughs> Dream is, this probably sounds like a whole lot of hooey. So at this point in the recording, you can pause, go on Cole's notes, read the plot synopsis for Midsummer Night's Dream, just like I did before the audition. We'll wait. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> um, so we had trouble with, uh, with getting a snug the joiner. A few people would come in, then they realized, oh, it's not that big a part, and it's a big commitment for time, and we, we would lose people. And I was just building a working relationship with the director, David Bolger, a very kind gentleman. And, uh, a total actor's actor. David's amazing. He, absolutely. Yep. Um, he kept me back one day for notes. Uh, we were chatting a lot. Uh, I was playing Lysander and I was having some early some struggles with it. And then uh, he offered me a ride home because uh, we'd stayed a bit later. And we're driving through, uh, through downtown Charlottetown. And uh, we see... Uh, this fellow that I kept seeing at work, this shirtless fellow, <laughs> scraggly hair. Uh, and uh, I'm just like, that guy, I see him every day at work. I don't know what his deal is. Uh, and, and Dave, in a very, very somber tone, says, that, my boy, is Bill McFadden, perhaps the finest actor on Prince Edward Island. And I said, really? That, that guy? He's like, you don't know half the legends and the myths that make up Bill McFadden. But he is a very important person. So, skip ahead <laughs> in the rehearsal process. We're still not finding a snug the joiner. We've lost out on our third snug. Uh, but three weeks or so until we open. And I'm still trying to figure out Lysander. I'm still having a lot of trouble with it. The end of rehearsal... The stage manager, Sharon, she says, Dave wants to talk to you. I'm like, God, what did I, what did I do this time? Like, I'm, I'm trying my best here, man. And with this crooked finger, he pulls me over and says, find me Bill McFadden. <laughs> like, like J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man. <laughs> He's like, find me Spider-Man. <laughs> you got to find me Bill McFadden. I'm like, why me? It's like, because he will find you. You are a Confederation player. You're on the street. I'm, I was Dave's man on the streets. And I had to keep a vigilant eye while dressed up as George Brown 
uh, on the streets of Charlottetown, looking for this kooky old man who I've had maybe one conversation with about bumblebees or something. The next day, I see Bill on the streets. I say, good day, sir. I instigate the conversation, and this throws him off his rhythm completely. (laughs) Oh, good day. I believe I already have your card, sir. Like, yes, I'm speaking on behalf of a, a friend, Justin. I have to pretend to... The politics of that job are hard to explain to somebody who doesn't get it. (laughs) So having to be in character, but explain to him something that we needed in real life. My friend Justin is wondering if you know Dave Bolger. Ah, yes, I know Dave. Well, we're having some difficulty finding uh, uh, someone for Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, Well, we, we need an actor to play one of the mechanicals. And he's wondering if uh, you'd be interested. Well, that depends. Which mechanical? I said, uh, Snug. Snug the Joiner. <laughs> I recall him in a past life. I will think it over. So you'll play the part? I said, <laughs> I'll think it over. The next day at rehearsal, Bill shows up. Dave announced, we have a new Snug the Joiner to be played by Bill McFadden. And we're all very pleased. Um, has a handful of lines. And he's doing great. He's having fun. It's, it's great to kind of see this person as a person. Now, we have the role of Snug the Joiner filled. However, the gamble of Oberon has not quite paid off for Dave's liking. The actor playing Oberon is having a lot of difficulty projecting, both vocally and uh, in terms of his presence. He just, he just doesn't have it. But I mean, you're asking, you're asking the duties of, of an actor for someone who is not an actor. And this, for a pretty unforgiving role, too. And it's, it, it, it's a big ask. It, it was a big ask for this person. So I think the, it, it was in the terms of the contract, really. That's where the fault was uh, yeah. from the get-go. And so... Another trait of not being an actor is not knowing what notes are and knowing they're not, uh, per- they're not intended to be personal. But he was taking it as, a, 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 as an insult. And this resulted in the two of them having, having it out in rehearsal more than once. And we would sit there waiting and while they're sorting things out, feeling like kids when your mom and dad are go- about to go through a divorce. <laughs> um, but I do remember them going into a private room outside the rehearsal space and uh, Oberon, he'd left the argument. He exited the room and David called after him. That's what happens when you think you're 10 feet tall. We are 10 days from opening. Right. We yeah. Just lost Oberon. And so they tossed the hat to Bill McFadden, who I cannot imagine in any other production of Midsummer Night's Dream has the role of Oberon been double cast by the (laughs) same person who plays Snug the Joiner. And this is not a role for like, Bill only looks like Bill. He's not, it's not like you just put a hat on him and then he just disappears into a role. He looks, he looks like if the cowardly lion were a person. (laughs) Just, but the moment he begins reading these lines, they echo across the field and his voice fills the space and he embodies the role 
and I won't forget the time. I think it was the closing night. We're in the grass as the lovers just passed Getting out. devoured by mosquitoes. Devoured by mosquitoes, <laughs> pretending to be under a fairy charm or whatever. Um, I started hearing some new, um, some new dialogue from Oberon. Okay. He, uh, I'm like, that's a, that's a little different than it was the last night and the night before. There, Bill. He goes, yes, uh, Forgive me, I had to learn an entire role in 10 days. <laughs> I, it seems some of the last couplets escaped me, so I had to make up my own iambic pentameter on the spot. Well, I was just going to say, I guarantee you that Bill's improvs scanned perfectly. They rhymed. Yeah, he right. Made up, <laughs> he made up a rhyme. Um, and so that uh, that experience being bathed in the in the blood of Bill in that experience. Um, I, he became a lifelong friend. Every time uh, I'd seen him, it was always uh, one ridiculous shaggy dog story after another. I got in a van with Bill and drove to King's Playhouse in Georgetown, Prince Edward Island. Just got in an unmarked white van with him. He's like, we're going to read a play. And I'm like, this seems safe. And we went. <laughs> But these are stories that I think everybody has their own version Absolutely. of in some way. The details will be different. The circumstances will be different, but the feeling remains the same. And, and I, I, I think it's so true that he just affected everybody he came in contact with, whether you were, you know, the mayor of Charlottetown or you were the guy playing guitar on the street corner with the hat out for spare change. Yeah. He just talked to you the same way, regardless of who you were. And he was just interested in hearing your story and telling a few of his. Um, and yeah, it's, it's weird to think about this all the way from Ontario, but it feels like Charlottetown's just not going to be the same. And that's why that's another reason we re we really wanted to, share these stories with whoever might be listening uh a time of grief when you lose somebody um one of the best ways to embrace grief and loss is um with togetherness a shared tradition of catharsis that can best be conducted in person now we are in isolation and how do you come together when you need it the most, when you have to be apart and away from those who might be there to support you. And I think being able to listen and to share these stories um, keeps their memory alive. And it gives you time and space to, to hurt and heal. For sure. We're absolutely heartbroken at the loss. We love you, Bill, wherever you are. And we're just sending our, our love and our good vibes to uh, all of Bill's kids and his grandkids and his extended family and his theater family as well. May flights of angels see thee to thy rest.